Hi guys, today I'm going to do a book review by Colin Harper called Bathed in Lightning. Before I start, I'd just like to say thank you to Matthew Dowie and JF Derry for recommending this book. I first moved to London in 1990 to go to music school. And um, around that time, Denmark Street and Charing Cross Road, two very prominent places in London for the music business, were very busy at that time. There was lots of guitar shops and music technology shops, um, sheet music. There were still publishers there, record companies like EMI Records were there. Um, lots and lots were there. And it was a, it was a goldmine if you were a guitarist because had everything you could possibly want in terms of you know old rare guitars. Although they do still have some good stuff there. But over the years, I've seen that street sort of shrink, really, into, um, especially with the internet, it sort of was like this prominent place, this little road, and then it just gradually shrank like this. And I think now it's going to be overtaken by a corporation or something and turned into some sort of ugly, horrible corporate rock and roll thing. But anyway, this road called Denmark Street, this little road, has a massive history. And when you walk down there, you can taste it, you can feel it, you can... It's like the grittiness of it, the, the, the brutality of the music business, you can feel it. You can feel its history. Along this little road called Denmark Street, a lot of the stars came from that, you know. Um, Mick Jagger, Rolling Stones recorded down there. Elton John recorded his first album down there. I used to work down there as a songwriter uh, with Bernie Taupin after he was a T-boy down there. Um, Rod Stewart, Joe Cocker, The Hollies, David Bowie. Uh, Sex Pistols even actually used to have their own rehearsal studios there. In fact, I used to rehearse there as well. <laughs> um, loads of people, anybody you can think of in this little road. It's amazing when you see it because it's just so small and so short that it has this massive rich history of basically music legends that came out of there. So this book is very interesting to me because it sort of goes back to the beginnings of this sort of gritty London Soho-esque rock and roll jazz, English jazz kind of era and the kind of the beginnings of it and then seeing it sort of gradually expand and this is why I like this book because it kind of takes me back to how I remember the music business being before the internet. Although a lot of people became very successful like Jack Bruce and Ginger Baker who went on to form Cream and become multi-millionaires superstars um, a lot of people just sort of, they seem to even miss their mark or they were just slightly out of sync with the time or perhaps they didn't have the promotion but people like uh, Graham Bond and the Graham Bond organisation, Duffy Power who worked with John McLaughlin and Herbie Goines, all these sorts of people, there's lots of them that just didn't quite make it in the way that they should have done and that in itself is very interesting as well, it's also very telling of the time and about you know dedication, being in the right place at the right time and a real reflection of the old music business as it used to be. So this book sort of interweaves between all of these characters and some that went on to be hugely successful, some perhaps didn't want to be hugely successful, but um, you learn a lot about people, a lot about the characters of that time and you know I mean I like Kenny Wheeler, I didn't know that Kenny Wheeler had a lot of self-doubt, I thought he's a very very you know confident, I mean, he sounds like it, he sounds amazing. <laughs> So, you know, you read about these characters, it's very interesting, you know, it's like Howard Blake who wrote um, The Snowman and read about him and how he started and, you know, some people just got in there and they just grabbed a chance and ran with it and became really successful. And people like Brian Auger as well, you know, he's playing piano and then he turned over to the organ, which he didn't want to do. And all these people, these kind of, it's very interesting how they sort of found their way and then they made something out of it. 
but like I say it's also sad when you see people that didn't you know fulfill their potential perhaps or maybe they just went crazy or they're just out of sync with the times in between all these characters of course we have the main protagonist called John McLaughlin he's a guy who seems to keep his private life very very private um, but he's interesting and funny as well because he gets married at, you know like every five minutes he's getting married to somebody else and um, there's one great line in there actually where they say where he's with his second wife I think and they were they're getting this new flat and um, I mean this is probably just not true but it's just is what is in the book and John says I'm just gonna get a, um, a pot of paint and of course he never comes back ever again <laughs> Next time the wife hears from him, he's in America asking for a divorce. Things like that. And there's another one that actually is very funny when they're on a skiing trip in Switzerland. And they're, they're just learning, they've never skied before. And they're just learning to ski. And apparently it's one of those, you know, those ski things where you um, go flying down them and do the jump off the end. Like Eddie the Eagle used to do. Apparently um, they were doing the skiing and John just got to the top of the ski jump and he said, yeah, I'm ready to go. <laughs> and the ski instructor said no get him off get him off you've got to get him off there he, he would die if he if he goes down there and John's like obsessively just wanted to do it and then they say no no you can't do it you know? there's some funny moments like that in the book where John McLaughlin does come across as a, a slightly crazy person you know but in a good way in a way that in a way that you need to be to succeed in music he also comes across as somebody obsessively obsessed with playing the guitar because when you listen to some of his early records, he doesn't sound that great on, the, which is no, you know, not a criticism, but he doesn't sound that great on all of his early records. Later on, you hear his development, and you really hear, hear that he has developed. It's not just that he's developed a bit; he's like developed a lot, like massively. Um, but anyway, it's it's still interesting to to listen to. I listen to lots of other records, like say, like um, Kenny Wheeler and Brian Auger. Howard Blake, all these people. Uh, what's interesting is listening to Duffy Power's version of It's Funny by John McLaughlin, or John McLaughlin, Duffy Power. Um, things like that, very interesting to sort of go back and listen to that and think what they must what must have been going through their minds at the time, you know, when they were writing this music and thinking, wow, this must be amazing, you know. The book also touches on John McLaughlin when he went to New York and also touches on his work with Miles Davis and also, in a more, I suppose, funny manner, with Sri Shinmoy, his guru. It also goes into the Mahavishnu Orchestra and some of the problems inherent within that group that um, the various players had with each other or with John. The best thing about this book is that it's nice and thick with loads of pages, so you don't have to rush through. I mean, I read a book really quickly normally in about a day or two or three days, but this one I deliberately, over Christmas and New Year, read slowly. Because one of those books, it's really enjoyable to read. You learn so much and it it changes your perception of what's possible in music again. Because you read this and it goes back to, you know, creating different scenes like the Beatles created a scene or the Hippies created a scene or John created a scene with this kind of new form of jazz fusion rock, you know, or in my case, when I was growing up, it was punk rock with the Sex Pistols and the Clash and the Jam and the Damned and the Stranglers. They all sounded different, but they all had their own sort of um, uniqueness, their own sound, but they were all part of the same sort of musical explosion at that time, the sort of new scene. And that's what I like about reading this. It takes me back to those kind of thoughts about creating a scene. And that's really, I suppose, where music isn't anymore. Music, there's no scene in music now. People just come on the internet and sell their wares. Nothing wrong in that, but... um it sort of made me want to go back out into the world again and, and make music as opposed to making music on the internet.
Anyway, this book was quite difficult to review, like I say, because there's lots of history and there's lots of my life that kind of interweaves within this book. Um, and, the, and the place, the Soho, Denmark Street, the jazz, playing, practicing, playing music for a living, um, all this stuff in London, it's, it's kind of part of my life. And a lot of this stuff in this book, I sort of, these places I've sort of lived through, I suppose. So in that regard, I had to sort of explain how it reflects in my own history. So how many stars would I give this book? From a personal perspective, I'd give this 10 out of 10 because it's, to me it's just thoroughly fascinating. To somebody perhaps who's not obsessive like me, um, maybe I would give it 8 to 9 stars at least. Probably 9 to 10 stars because it's a really, really good read and it's, it's, a, it's a long read and it's a really enjoyable read and you learn a hell of a lot about the 60s and the whole expansion of the whole London scene. I think this book was about £15, so it's well worth buying. It's, it's a great little book. Anyway, I hope this video has been of some use to you. If it has, please smash the subscribe button, smash the like button, click the notification button, and I'll see you in the next video. Thank you for watching.